when you receive a lot of incoming uh, signals that challenge that, weak people crumble. They might say, eh, okay, you know, I'll follow the herd. I'll do this. I'll make these changes. I will uh, not walk through the fire. I will try to make my path a little bit easier. We each have our own gift to give, and yours is unique. Welcome to the Calvin Corelli Show. I'm really excited to have you. All right, so hello, everyone. I'm here with Chris Pearson. Um, dude, I've known you for, I've known of you for 12 years now. Back in 2008, I started to get into online courses and information marketing and all that kind of stuff, and I was teaching people how to set up WordPress and the number, the thing that, the theme that they had to get was thesis. Right, that was, uh, I was teaching everybody to do that. So I brought you a bunch of customers back in the day. Sweet, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Sort of, and then I got out to, out of the WordPress universe, so didn't didn't kind of you know stay connected with you, if you will, for years. But then you popped up in my Twitter feed um, recently, and I was like, oh, all right, it seems like we have a kindred spirit there, someone who's a little, you know, mischievous, rebellious, and uh, <laughs> you know, irreverent, and uh, likes to just call shit out for for what it is. So really excited to talk to you here and get to know you a little better. Yeah. Um, do you please like, what is your, what is your story? What's your background? What do people need to know about you? Uh, gosh. Uh, I guess the, the most pertinent thing about my background is that, uh, I am now 39 years old and I have never had a, a real job. (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, I realized very early on that I was pretty much unemployable and, Mm. uh, I like that was one count. of the things that Dan Kennedy always talks about that too, right? Like the, the unemploy, unemployables. Have you followed Dan Kennedy? Uh, no, I'm familiar with who that is. And I'm, you know, I know that right. there's some conversation out there about, you know, being unemployable. But yeah, uh, yeah. for me, that was, that was definitely a real thing very early on. Right. And uh, so I, I kind of had to jump around between things I liked that I could use to generate income because, you know, it wasn't like anyone was going to be paid. Like, here you go, $56,000 salary for you to exist. Uh, I didn't have that uh, that coming my way, so I think that having to forge my own path and be responsible for all that stuff, you know, anything that comes to me, I have to create. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that has hardened me in a lot of ways, but also led me to um, led me to become a total realist, you know, when it comes to everything, but also to uh, sort of have this idea, you know, this uh, mindset of extreme responsibility. Mm. Uh, so I, I'm not, uh, I'm not in the excuse making business. And, right. Talk, uh, talk to me about that. The extreme yeah. responsibility. Well, when it's well, extreme responsibility means it's on you, even if it's stuff that's unfair, even if it's stuff that you don't feel like you should have to deal with, uh, stuff within your purview, if you want to make things better then and obstacles are in the way, even if you didn't put them there, you know, tough luck, you got to deal. You got to right. overcome like those rioting, things. for example, looting is a good way to do that. Right. Yeah, you probably won't find me out there riding or looting. No. I, don't, uh, I, don't, I don't enjoy the downside risk of, uh, no. of a lot of activities. Uh, and really don't have the time, frankly, to go engage in stuff like that. Because like I said, I got to make it happen. I got to make it happen right. every day. It's always on me. So that sort of uh, is always a lingering carrot out there that helps me make decisions that are possibly a little more constructive. <laughs> right. So what, so what is the thing that you got to make happen? Is it, is it survival? Do you have a bigger... A bigger why, a bigger purpose driving you? Well, you know, honestly, I'm sort of, uh, and I was going to, this is a great segue with the, you know, the conversation earlier, All, having always been, uh, you know, an entrepreneur, I guess, sort of, uh, and, and a creative type, uh, I've, I've bounced around between a lot of different disciplines and I get mm. engaged in something new and I get fully immersed in it and I sort of have manic behaviors relative to things that I'm interested in. So I will, you know, for two weeks, I'll go do this thing, you know, fully immersed. And then, you know, somebody will see me on the other side, like, like I swam underwater for two weeks and popped out of the water with, uh, with all these new skills that I built or whatever it is, it's new knowledge. And uh, that doesn't work when you are, uh, you know, working for a company, something like that. You know, you can't just take a two week reprieve and say, hey, I'm gonna go build some skills, we'll see you later. But, uh, you know, I have, I have done that for so long now that that's just sort of how I operate. So I, I get these manic bursts and uh, were you diagnosed that has led me ADHD to become a total polymath. Do what? Okay. Were you diagnosed with ADHD by any chance? Uh, not, not officially. 
Not no. officially. I just don't listen to things that don't interest me. I don't think it's any sort of disease or anything like that. Like, I just don't care. I care about what I care about. That's about it. Yeah, it's just when you say, like, these manic spurts. I mean, I've never been diagnosed with anything, but but I can relate. I was talking to Dan Martell the other day. Do you know who that is? I'm familiar Uh, with him. Yeah, so he was was diagnosed with ADHD and, like, actually on Ritalin for years and years. Um, But... But yeah, so that that sort of I can re- relate to that sort of manic. You just like super deep focus, getting into some some topic, right? You know, Absolutely. Like learn this stuff, yeah. All right. But uh, Keep going. the reason why we're here, though, because you I popped up on your Twitter, of <laughs> course, and uh, you know I think it's worth mentioning. I'm completely addicted to uh, to Twitter specifically, not social media. Most of it I find right. absolutely abhorrent and boring, and. Uh, vacuous, repetitive, you know, not, uh, it's just not a unique thing. It's not bringing me enough, uh, you know, insights that are worth listening to, uh, you know, Facebook, Instagram, these types of of platforms, but Twitter absolutely does it for me. Being able to write just a little bit, uh, is really Mm -hmm. a good challenge for creativity on a daily basis. Um, Mm -hmm. trying to convey humor and personality through text is not easy. Mm -hmm. Um, I also use it as a a tool to sharpen my writing skills, uh, which has turned out to be super important, super important. Um, That's a skill that I, you know, have to use in my own business. I do all my own copywriting uh, and, 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 you know, being able to sharpen the blade, so to speak, all the time is, uh, is not only addictive, but it also is productive, uh, at least in some sense that I'm, you know, constantly building and constantly, you know, constantly getting better and challenging myself to, uh, to find the right words to connect. Right. Yeah. Twitter is a cool platform. It's, a, it's really interesting. Uh, universe. I wasn't, I was like very early on Twitter, but then uh, once kind of the masses <laughs> joined, I lost interest a little bit. Um, so I, when it came out, I, I was still living in Copenhagen in Denmark. And, um, and so, and the only people that were on Twitter were, were people in, te- in the tech world, which right. was what I was. Right. And so it was a great way for me to feel connected with the, t- with the, with the tech world, basically like essentially follow everyone on Twitter and just feel like you were connected. And then like pretty quickly it, it lost that. And then I stayed out of it. And it wasn't until a couple of years ago when I started to get really interested in what was going on in politics that I was actually talking to Dave Rubin. Do you know who that is? Mm-hmm, Rubin Report. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he was like, dude, you should check, you should you know, do more Twitter. You should get, be more active there. And I was like, that's, I never thought of that. And then I realized there's this whole, like that whole conversation that's happening on Twitter, right? All these different voices and, and um, yeah, a lot of, uh, a lot of fun, like a lot of angry people, a lot of offended people, but also a lot of people that have a sense of humor and, and like, you know, can be cheeky about everything that's going on. Yeah. It's actually a real challenge to be able to uh, say what you want to say and make the points you want to make. Uh, if, you know, in my case, I want to be incisive. Mm-hmm. I want to stir the pot. I want to, uh, you know, I want to get under the skin of the right people. Mm-hmm. Uh, occasionally, not all the time. It's not like I'm out for warfare all the time, but uh, it's very tough to do those kinds of things and not get banned. Frankly, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, you gotta, you gotta get creative. And uh, I don't, I kind of don't love that. Sort of feels like the terrorists are winning when you feel like you have to censor yourself or tiptoe around to find the right words. But at the same time, it can still be a fun exercise, uh, especially yeah. if you're, you know, if you're addicted to it like I am. Like you kind of have to find a way and just deal with the fact that, eh, you know, it's not a hundred percent. It's not unfiltered, but it sort of right. is if you know what you're looking for. I'm saying, I'm saying everything I want to say on on the platform, pretty much. Oh, that's good. Have you have you been banned? No. It hasn't no. happened. All right. I am very Good. careful. I am very careful. <laughs> right. Occasionally, I'll have pull you, up that reply button. I'm like, don't reply to this person. Don't do it. Right. Have you Have you read the the terms, the Twitter's terms? Oh, Lord, no. Uh, hopefully, I'll make it through my life and never read any terms or any legalese at all. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Yeah, I have not either. Uh, and I have not been man, but also, you know, I'm not, I don't think I'm as out there as you are. Have you, have you had that, that you know, fear of like speaking out about these things because there seems to be, uh, you know, backlash. my career arc has been that I got canceled before canceling was a thing. Nice. And, oh, wow. uh, How'd you do that? So I'm just sort of used to it. I, I really don't care. Like I embrace it. I, I, I cost myself millions and millions of dollars because I couldn't keep my <laughs> mouth shut and uh, right. that's fine. I'm okay with that. I accept all that. Uh, you know, I've gotten to be me the whole time. And I think that's been better than whatever 
you know, extra money I could have earned by being a good soldier. Mm. Uh, you know, and I stand here today. I feel like I'm a lot stronger for the journey. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, was it worth it? Yeah, probably so. Probably so. Yeah. I think that's such an important point. Like we have to be, we have to be ourselves, right? We have to be true uh, and honest. Uh, what was, what happened when you got canceled? Uh, so what happened when I got canceled was that I had the number one premium WordPress theme in the world at the time's thesis, which you mentioned. This was in the summer of 2010. And uh, I had a public interview on Mixergy.com with uh, Matt Mullenweg, the founder of WordPress. And uh, wait, you were so uh, wait, you were hosting the interview? You were the one interviewing Matt? No, or? no, no. Andrew Warner of Mixergy was hosting the interview what? and he had us on as a, like a round table thing. Gotcha. Okay. And it was, uh, you know, the, the thing, uh, the, the object or the uh, topic of interest was that I didn't have the right software license with Thesis. I wasn't, I didn't have the, a GPL license associated mm. with it. And the truth is I didn't have any license associated with it because I didn't know what I was doing. You know, you start selling and you just go. If you have something that's moving, you don't really think about the details of your product. You think about moving your product. So, uh, and, and licensing to me is, is super goofy. It doesn't have anything to do with the way a product works. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have anything, to, like nobody cares, right? Mm-hmm. One out of a hundred people cares about terms like that. It's always got some neurotic freak who, uh, who wants to look at stuff like that and who cares. But, uh, you know, the reality is, so this is a great example of a topic that comes up again and again. I talk about this on Twitter. Uh, this is just a thing I see, a pattern I see repeated over and over. We sacrifice the 99% of sane people who don't give a shit about licensing for the 1% of idiots who do. And this ended up becoming a huge flare-up issue I basically, I was told that I need to change my licensing and I don't do what other people tell me to do. So I'm like, you know, F off. <laughs> I'm not going to do what you say. But it turned out that uh, they were able to, they being anyone sympathetic to WordPress was able to uh, rally people against me and really just, just absolutely destroy me. My business partner up and left me uh, during the middle of this because it was negative PR. He didn't need to deal with that. He just wants to make money. I get it. He, he planted a fake interview to smooth out his exit and to make it look like it was okay, the, the later moves that he made. He moved to my, uh, he, he became the, the CEO, I guess, of my immediate competitor <laughs> in the market space. And then, uh, you know, WordPress people like Matt Mullenweg specifically work behind the scenes to try and convert people away from the thesis platform. They introduced uh, some community rules and guidelines and also some new initiatives uh, called WordCamps, which are like little conferences. And they had rules about who could participate in WordCamps. You had to have the right licensing. You had to have said the right things publicly. You have to support their line of thinking. And all this happened. Uh, That was the snowball that got started down the hill with me. And uh, so I was basically canceled from popular WordPress culture uh, during this episode in 2010. And had to go through that. And like I said, it cost me millions of dollars. Uh, I was selling uh, when this occurred. The year that that occurred, I sold $2.4 million worth of software. And, uh, you know, in the years that followed, the graphs went way down and no one would work with me. I've had people tell me candidly behind the scenes, hey, we love your stuff, but we couldn't make it work with the company because you're toxic, that kind of thing. Mm. So I've lived with that reality now for a decade. Oh. And, uh, and are you I still now, feeling that? I'm now Teflon as you could possibly be. But what'd you say? <laughs> are, are you still feeling the consequences of that? Are you, are you still I still deal with it. I still deal with it to some extent. Um, I, am, I know that plenty of people who have audiences who are paying attention to WordPress. Now, they, these things have dwindled massively. The, the interest in WordPress is nothing like it used to be. It's sort of a de facto thing now, but nobody's like paying attention to the inner workings of it. Nobody really cares anymore. But there's still, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm persona non grata. I can't, you know, no one will promote me, that kind of thing. People within the space. They're only willing to engage me in DMs and stuff like that behind the scenes because they're weak and they don't want to, they're not willing to jeopardize their incomes or whatever, whatever relationships they have. I get that. Right. That's, a, that's a, you know, a rational decision for, for these people. But the fact is, nah, look, at it, it's just weak. You know, it's like I walk through the right. fire. I'm not interested to hear other people. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, so let's dive into that, right? Because that's something that's on, on my mind. Like if I've, I've been more vocal uh, lately and I've, it's kind of started in 2018 with my, when I, I was doing, um, I did, in 2018, I did a daily live stream on whatever was politics. And at that time, I thought I was a Democrat, if anything, right? And then I started to actually learn stuff and I realized, these people are idiots like they don't know what the hell they're talking about none, none of it makes any sense right 
And so I drifted to, to the right, if you will. Um, and, uh, and that like, I, at that time I did it on a YouTube channel that I didn't really promote, you know, anywhere. Like I'd never talked about it on Facebook because, you know, I have a bigger following. There's like, just set up a completely new YouTube account and basically didn't tell anyone about it. Right. Right. <laughs> And because, but it was really helpful for me to figure out what I was thinking in sort of in public. Um, but um, absolutely, definitely scared about bringing it into a broader audience. And like the, my customer is going to find out about this stuff, right? Because there is yeah. that like, yeah. there's that, that anger and that like, you can't, like that canceling of like people that think differently is like, yeah, we're, you're going to be toxic now. We, we're not even going to talk to you. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And I it's mean, dangerous. Like, and, 19... and... Okay, good. No, I was just going to say like the people that, that are DMing you, right? Like we need, we need people to have fucking courage, right? To have balls, to speak up and talk, say what they mean and not feel that they have to fall in line for fear of being lynched by other people that don't believe in the lynching, right? Right. Well, you know, I've been aware of this, like I said, for a decade. And I've been able to see this. And I remember predicting in about late 2012, I was like, well, the market is not ready for my new stuff yet, but they will be by about 2018. I, I was, that was a generous prediction, it turns out. Uh, it's more like now, or second half 2019, now I, things have started to sort of bend back in my direction a little bit. I've, I've arrested some attention away from these, these places that were formerly like, eh, we're just not gonna, we're not gonna listen to you. We're not gonna look at you. Uh, and I, I feel that arc changing in a big way now, societally, not just mm -hmm. re relative to my stuff. I see people changing. Quarantine really started this, and I really started to notice this with, with the beginning of lockdowns and all that stuff. But people's mindsets are starting to shift. The way they are thinking is a little different. Quarantine has changed the way people think. Business owners have had to get creative, the good ones, and people have sort of it, – it's a big triggering event that causes you to rethink some assumptions that you have made before. Mm. So you revisit these foundational areas again, and we say, ah, oh, I missed this. I'm going to look here now. There's little treasures for me to find in these areas. And I see this happening now. So we're like dominoes falling over. And as, as we go up into 2020, there's mindset shifts, and I'll be standing here ready to receive the attention that is coming my direction because I've been setting for the, prepping for this for a decade. Mm. And, uh, and that's what I feel happening in a large way. Uh, I, I see, you know, like I said, it's not happening just for me, happening for some of my friends. Jack, Mur Jack Murphy runs jackmurphylive.com in the liminal order. He's got people, you know, he, he's running a business model that's basically a, an online fraternity of men. And when he told me he was going to do this, I'm like, that's not going to work, dude. But watching this arc bend, it is working. And he, mm -hmm. he, you know, he understood where that was heading from his own perspective. And he was absolutely right with the gamble that he took. Right, and right. That's just How long have you been Jack? Uh, a couple of years. A couple of years. Yeah. Would you, like, are you a member of, of the order? I'm in the order. He gave me a, yeah. he gave me a, a free pass because I helped him with his website and set him up with focus and all that stuff. Oh, nice. Yeah. How did you guys connect? Uh, through Twitter. Twitter. Yeah. 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 So I'm still pretty fairly, fairly new to this, this world and this universe, but yeah, clearly there's like, you know, I was speaking with Zuby the other day, you know, Zuby. Yeah. 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 Like, I mean, he's obviously seen a, a massive growth, right? The, the, there's yeah. just like people are ready. There are people that are ready to think for themselves. And there's a lot of people obviously that aren't um, <laughs> as like we, we saw yesterday on, on this like stupid ass blackout Tuesday, everybody like oh, yeah. posting their black squares and all that nonsense. Right. Like, Oh my God. Everybody wants to virtue signal, right? It's just, you know, it's so pervasive. It's so, I don't know, makes people feel good for a moment, even though it actually hurts the people that you're trying to help. Right. It, you know, so, my whole, uh, I guess I was, I was not completely apolitical, but I was very, very, as casual as you could be, don't really care at all. But I started reading uh, Thomas Sowell. Mm -hmm. he, uh, he's an economist. When, is this? when did you author. start reading that? I think my first Thomas Sowell book was probably 2010, late 2010, mm. but I read like all of his books between 2010 and 2013. Nice. Uh, For me, and, it wasn't until 17, 18. So yeah. I'm late to get to this game. So I, I read all his books and really got me thinking and sort of, sort of, you know, exactly what I just mentioned about rethinking some foundational assumptions that mm -hmm. we have about things and revisiting some topics that are uh, 
you know, like uh, race, um, foreign, foreign aid, you know, how we deal with other countries, uh, immigration, all these types of issues, sort of revisiting these and seeing them through a lens of pure supply and demand and, and you know, basic economic mechanisms and understanding how people vote with their wallets, understanding this concept of revealed preferences, like don't worry about what people say, intent is crap, you know, look where the flows of money that will paint a picture, you know, mm. the flows of money create patterns, they, they paint pictures of what society wants and what, uh, what, what, you know, what is real. And that really changed my thinking on the whole thing. And it made me, when I was equipped with these new glasses, I could look around through this new lens. I started to see that, you know, all this phoniness and all these mm. layers of, of stuff that's just not real, but that we project out there and we, you know, we make it real, but it, it's just, it, it creates all this chaos and this madness. And it's really like a race to the bottom in terms of stupidity. Uh, and like you said, we had this blackout yeah. Tuesday yesterday with Instagram, such a perfect example. When everybody is saying the same thing, none of it means anything. It literally <laughs> yeah. doesn't mean anything. And here's what's worse about this. These types of things, these societal events where everyone has to, you know, participate. It's like taking communion at church. It's, it's a, it, it is a reaffirmation of one's faith in this canon that mm -hmm. many believe to be, a, you know, a bedrock thing in our society now. Mm -hmm. And it's like, wait a minute. And how many understand it, right? How many we, you know, know, almost know not understand it, but they understand the mechanism that's in play. And the mechanism is this. You will be ostracized if you do not have the right beliefs. That is the mm -hmm. core thing. And, you know, and you, you, can, you can have a conversation with somebody right. about this because they're, they're going to feel like they're being attacked. But the whole thing is like the action you are taking is just to sit here and say, hey, I'm righteous. When the mob comes out, make sure the mob doesn't come for me because I have said all the right things and my heart is in the right place. Mm -hmm. But the great irony of this is that these same people are the ones who get dunked on massively and they're like, why did this happen to me? I posted this on Twitter on, uh, a couple days ago. This woman, uh, her her newspaper, I guess in South Carolina or North, it was in Raleigh, North Carolina. She runs a progressive newspaper and her building got ransacked. Okay. Oh. She was crying on Twitter. We are a progressive newspaper. Why is this happening? And I did this is my meme of the week right now because it's like you <laughs> fucking idiots, you absolute idiots, you clowns. It doesn't matter how much you pledge fealty to the blue church. When everyone's getting ginned up and emotional, none of that crap matters. What matters is, you know, getting another head on a pike. And right. your head yeah. is a convenient one because you're in the thick of that shit because you're a progressive newspaper. Yeah. You know. Did you see the, 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 um, that other video with these guys in, the, in their apartment doing like the thumbs up? Oh, absolutely. I dunked on them too. <laughs> they deserved it. We're on your side. What are you bunch of 23 dude bros? You, right. know. you don't understand anything about this. No, no. So, uh, I, like you mentioned – like race is one of the things let's just seems to be a hot button third rail issue. Let's just dive in there. Like what, yeah. what, what have you learned? Well, I mean, you know, to me, it is so obvious and embarrassing the dialogue that occurs in this country around race, even the blackout Tuesday. If I was a black person, I'd be like, God damn it. Looking at all right. this stuff. I would be so frustrated with this watching a bunch of idiot white people pledge fealty to the blue church in a disingenuous way. I, I see right through it. It's so phony. Right. They, don't, they right. don't care. They probably never even met a black person. I grew they up just in a want city a little that bit was of attention. One, they they I, want a little bit of attention, right? They want to have that, that like good feeling that you get when you're like, oh, I'm such a virtuous good person and show that. And, and like, just I guess not be awesome. That's how they right? feel though. They're signaling to right. their white friends. I, I'm totally. just saying, I grew up in a city that's one quarter black. This is not, it wasn't a thing. We played sports, right. we were in schools. It, it's just a thing. But th now, like, so to me, it's not something you think about. But then watching people say this, I'm like, you've never been around a black person in your life, have you? Because you wouldn't act like a fucking idiot if you had. It's just so right. unbelievable to me to see this and to see how transparent it all is. You know, mm -hmm. I'm, getting, I'm getting agitated about this. Like, this yeah. is the stuff I shit post about because it's just so obvious. God damn mm -hmm. it. And so, like I said, if I was a black person watching this, I would be so frustrated to see this and to see it can, to not just get perpetuated, to grow, to watch mm -hmm. people like, more fall into this mind virus and, you know, perpetuating this crap. It really is just unbelievable to me that this is the direction things have gone. All in the name yeah. of being not racist, we're just getting more and more racist. It's so stupid. It's so exactly. stupid. Yeah, yeah. More and more focus on race. Do we do we have evidence that there is any racist motive behind the killing of George Floyd? 
I, I do not know enough about the details to say. I know that, uh, here's what I do know. I know that police in every municipality, they know who the criminals are. It's not like it's, it's a population-wide thing. Police know who the criminals are. Mm-hmm. George Floyd had priors, so they knew him. The law enforcement officer oh, and, and apparently Derek knew who he was and knew what some of the risks were. I, I know that that is true, at least. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, apparently I Derek also and, know and, and George Floyd knew each other for 10 years. They were bouncers at the same, at the same bar for George 10 years. George Floyd and who else? The, the cop and, and the kid. Oh, so he, so he really knew him. He, <laughs> they worked side by side for 10 years. Yeah. So yeah, that really confirms that he knew who he was. My friend Derek, who lives in New York, brought up a good point yesterday, and we, we had a little chat about this. He said that with, with that confrontation, you got to ask yourself this. I'm just, it's just worth asking. But do you think that confrontation would have gone the same way had the cameraman not been there agitating the situation? Mm-hmm. What if there were no cameras on him? He had to take time to address the camera person, mm-hmm. the officer, that yeah. increased the amount of time the knee was on the neck. I'm just yeah. saying, do, do these events yeah. unfold the exact same way if this was not a publicized sort of thing and there wasn't mm-hmm. this antagonism on the scene, does it work out the same way? I don't know the answer to that. I'm not saying this excuses anything. It doesn't. Right. All I'm saying is, let's think. Instead of right. taking things at face value and saying, oh, this or that, like, let's not right. react emotionally. Let's figure out what the hell's going on here. But exactly. yeah. all of that aside, none of that excuses police violence, which I do find really gross. Uh, you know, that sort of imagery is not good. Um, mm-hmm. Officers killing people who are in custody, I think, is just insane. It's like, dude, already had handcuffs on. Like, what do we got to do here? Yeah, uh, I've heard, some, and, I've and heard so horror stories people, from officers about people who are, uh, you know, shackled up doing some crazy things. But still, you know, eh, it's gross. Yeah. I mean, and following both left and right Twitter, um, I have I have seen no one that in any way, shape, or form condoned what happened. Right? Everybody was in agreement after that. Well, so here's the terrible. thing with Blackout Tuesday: <laughs> Do we really need to sit here and say, like every everyone thinks that the optics of that were shit? Everyone thinks that situation is bad. Do we really need to sit here and say, oh, I think that was bad? Like, why right. do we have to repeat obvious things? You know, when you repeat something that is widely assumed to be true for everybody, it gets into uh, the cultish type practices commonly associated with religion. Stuff that we've, that's been in the national dialogue 40, 50, 60 years as being like sort of icky. You know, at first it was originally Christians. We didn't like, you know, the ritual and all this stuff. Didn't want it projected onto society. Ooh, don't bring that in here. I don't want to have to see this Christian imagery or whatever it is. That was sort of the thing. Well, now it's all this secular imagery. I don't want to see that shit. I feel freedom from that religion, the secularized state religion, it's gross. It's gross. Yeah, yeah. All right. So what, like China, <laughs> what, what, have you been following up on that? Like, what's your take? I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm not a China expert at all. Uh, but, and, and really the whole quarantine thing, you know, COVID thing sort of uh, has, has probably taught me more about China than I ever knew before. Uh, and I just think, let, let's just trace the arc. I like the history of this whole thing. Why on earth would America ever have moved businesses to China in the first place? We already had the manufacturing here. Millions of dollars, lots of time and effort was set up to build factories in the U.S. that ran from 1900 to 1960. And it would have taken tremendous amount of money at the time to move your operations abroad anywhere, anywhere. It would have been economically probably so steep a curve there that you wouldn't you wouldn't do it it would not be viable so there had to be external factors that caused u.s businesses to move abroad turns out there were there were quite a few the most important one so another deterrent of moving your factories you've got workers who are americans who you are you know you take care of your workers if you're a good ceo you feel responsible for these people so you don't want to just up and rip their livelihood away and move it to china that's not really a palatable thing but if you had enough external pressure, you would make this decision, employees be damned. And it all started with, you know, 1968, Berkeley and all this environmental movement. Then corporations started getting fingered uh, in media as being bad actors because they were causing pollution from these factories, that type of thing. Eventually, that PR snowball got big enough that companies, you know, the discussions in the board and all that stuff, they're like, eh, we, we've, got to, we've got to end this. We can't sustain, uh, you know, this ongoing PR hit and these attacks because you spend all your time on these attacks defending yourself. It's lame. Uh, you know, you want to be productive. You don't want to, you know, defending yourself against attacks is no way to run a business. It's, it's absolutely exhausting. 
you end up spending a ton on legal stuff. Like you just, it's, you're not performing your business anymore. Now you're a PR agency. It's bullshit. So you got to, you got to solve these problems, these negative PR issues. A smart business that wants to keep making money has to solve them. So they move the factories to China. Mm-hmm. They, you know, why, when would you undertake this huge steep curve? Only if there was enough pressure, that was enough pressure to do it. Also, all we did was shift the pollution. We didn't get rid of it. Actually, probably polluted more because they build the factories quickly and with less regulation and whatever standards uh, that we right. would have at play here. And so then all the stuff moves to China. Well, now 40-something years on, you can't move them back. Now that growth curve is really fucking steep. And so you got to move stuff back to America and increase costs. Well, maybe some of these companies might, but I would argue you still need the same external pressure agent to cause that to come back. Maybe right. this is enough yeah. to do it. I don't know. And, and on top of, it, of everything that you pointed out, which I hadn't thought of, is this you know, obvious fact that they were, they were just way cheaper, right? Slave labor and government would, would you know, subsidize it to entice companies to move over. And now we're at a point where like the whole country and everything that we do runs on computers and technology and we don't know how to make them, right? The only place in the world that makes computers are China, as far as I know, right? Well, I think it's a big, uh, I mean, I think Japan has some, some semiconductor companies and things like that as well. But my understanding is that it's sort of a supply chain thing. So China's down in Southern Africa in, uh, you know, Zimbabwe area, South Africa and around there. And there's where all the uh, rare earth element mines are. Mm-hmm. Somewhere in Africa, but it, it's mostly done by Chinese. So Chinese have moved into Southern Africa. They'll say, hey, we'll do your infrastructure, all this stuff. We'll build this out for you guys, but you give us, you know, free reign to, to do our thing. So mm-hmm. China has, has gone in and totally pillaged Africa, but they own those supply chains for the rare earth metals that are needed to make these, uh, you know, semiconductors and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I think that web of entanglements is so much greater than just, oh, they make them in China and we don't know how to make them. It's like, I don't know if we could actually piece together that supply chain or not right uh without some sort of with, conflict or something like that yeah it's interesting with a company like like apple i've always been a fan of of you know steve jobs and 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 and, and apple and all that kind of th- thing right but after after steve died apple's gone really woke with the uh, tim oh, at the helm i mean so he loves himself in china right oh absolutely they, they they can't do it any other way right but uh I, so I have a, a sort of an ongoing meme with, with my tweets that is anything that is really predominantly leftist in our society, I could create a, a computer algorithm in about five minutes that would guess all of the actions, all the thoughts, all the projections, all this stuff with 100% accuracy. It's the easiest, most basic fucking program you could ever write. It's all so freaking obvious and all follows these same established patterns. Uh, and right. that tells me that these are not interesting people. These are not interesting pathways. There's no progress to be made here. This is a five minute, like no shit job. Right. And it just, you know, it, it applies to everything. It applies to China, it applies, you know, just across the board, these basic patterns. I don't remember why, what my, my purpose of bringing that up was just this whole sort of NPC landscape that we, we find ourselves in. It applies to freaking every issue. It's unbelievable. Oh, Apple. I, Apple's an NPC. Mm-hmm. I could predict every position Apple would take on anything and what their stupid mm-hmm. PR releases would be, what they would say, the causes they would support, all of it, where right. they would manufacture their products, all of it. Right. But I feel like it wasn't that, it wasn't like that when Steve Jobs was still alive, right? That, no. Like, they, no. that was an interesting company back then. Like they were, they would think differently. Right now they're not thinking differently Steve Jobs at all. is a hard ass. You know? Yeah, it, exactly. Whenever I read about no people shit. who are notoriously unlikable, I'm like, that's my guy. That's my right. guy. If he's notoriously unlikable or an asshole, that just means you didn't like being held to that standard because you're weak. That's really what it means. You know, the whole Michael Jordan thing. He thought he was going to come off looking like an asshole. I thought he looked great. I thought the whole thing was unbelievable. You know, he's, uh, some people have been critical and like saying he's not friends with his old teammates. That's not the way the man is wired. The man wants to freaking win and is an absolute assassin when it comes to that. And I respect that because he's giving you exactly what he is. There's no veiled stuff. He's not trying to, uh, he's, not, he's not signaling. So you think this certain way about him. He's saying, here it is, take it or leave it, let's go. And that's the mm-hmm. type of character Steve Jobs was from at least my understanding. Uh, that's how Michael Jordan was. That's how these hard asses were. But look what they did. They, they, mm-hmm. they move ground. They get things done. And uh, 
you know, it sort of comes with the territory. It is what it is. Yeah. So I'm sympathetic to the Steve Jobs types, and I, I hate to watch, you know, watch what, what's going on with Apple. I hate that I give them so much money. It really is yeah. a bummer. It really is a bummer. If it weren't for the damn blue chat bubbles, I probably wouldn't, wouldn't stick with them. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good, it's a good marketing thing, isn't it? It's really, it's really worked well. Incredibly sticky feature. Incredibly yeah. sticky. Yeah. Oh, not another green one. Damn it. <laughs> yep. Every group yeah. text. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. So like what, like putting the focus on you a little bit, like um, in, in your life and your journey as a human, like what, what's been some of the challenging moments? What have been some of your kind of dark, dark nights of the soul or dark moments in your life? Oh, just receiving, you know, tidal waves of negativity pointed at me mm. and, mm. uh, you know, I knew a long time ago that people didn't fully get what I was doing. And so I call this, I call this the scoreboard. You know what the scoreboard says, what it actually mm -hmm. says. The scoreboard to me says, I know I'm innovative. I know I'm creating great things. I know I make products that are massively more efficient than what, what is out there. I know what the scoreboard says. The scoreboard says, this is great. Other stuff is not. And when you receive a lot of incoming uh, signals that challenge that weak people crumble they might say hey okay you know i'll follow the herd i'll do this i'll make these changes i will uh not walk through the fire i will try to make my path a little bit easier a little smoother and uh, you know like sort of a recurring thing for me has been that i have to stay true to what i know is going on i know i'm going to catch heat i know people aren't going to get it it might take years for people to get it I may not even be able to explain myself and I'm not going to spend my time explaining myself so that in hopes that people will get it, it's exhausting. You can't be innovative if you're explaining yourself the whole damn time. Hmm. And where does that come from? That desire to walk through the fire? You know, I, it's sort of a meme. Uh, I joke about this with my girlfriend all the time, but it's like, I, I like to play the game on, on the hardest setting, the hardest difficulty setting. I don't know why that is. I don't really enjoy that necessarily. Like I would like easy stuff, easy wins to come my direction. Uh, it just seems to be that that's not the way things work out. Uh, mm. I think once you sort of operate on a, a frequency where you're absolutely true to yourself, you're constantly having to recalibrate everything and, uh, and sort of reaffirm what your mission is. And if you're constantly doing that and society's sort of in another place, it's gonna be, there's going to be some tension all the time. And you have to either be comfortable with that tension or you need to get out. Right. And uh, at this point, I, I don't feel like I know any other way to live. So, do you thrive on the tension? Apparently, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, what, what? How would you describe your relationship to your dad? Do what? How would you describe your relationship to your dad? Oh, interesting question. Uh, non-existent at this point, which is too damn bad. Uh, mm. We haven't talked since two thousand five, mm. which That's is a real time. disaster. It's a mm. real disaster. Um, what happened? Well, I ran his business right out of college. So I wasn't really employed. I was running his business and could do, make the moves I wanted to move uh, or make the moves I wanted to make. It was a phone card and prepaid cellular business. And I worked my butt off for that. It was great. I loved, uh, I loved that time. I loved that, you know, doing that business. It was such a great experience for me. Uh, I was able to see America. So I had a thing go viral in April about, uh, it was a story about a 15-year-old stripper in Kentucky and what that could tell you about China. That story comes from that time in my life when I was uh, right. working for his business. And uh, we grew that business incredibly fast. I busted my ass for that. It was, I made incredible strides in that business. It was awesome. And as part of that growth, we were being asked by large cellular providers to go provide service all over the Midwest. Uh, because, you know, there was lots of people doing it. And then they were like, eh, these guys are the best. Let's have them expand the network. And it was a raw deal. It was going to stress our business, which is a cash flow basis business, to the point in, in, in some markets where the profit margins had been eroded. It was not going to be a good deal for us. And that created tension between me and my dad. And eventually, you know, he, he, he just wanted to hear yeses to move, move the business along because he wanted to appease, you know, these uh, entities that were approaching us to say, hey, you, you know, that were showing faith in us. But what they were doing was actually just going to pimp us out and run us ragged so they could expand their network and it was a bad deal. You know, did I want to uh, appease them and be the, the top dog? Sure, but not at my own expense, right? Mm -hmm. And that's sort of a situation we got into. We had a lot of disagreements, it escalated, I quit. And that was pretty much it. 
And then the, the some stuff that unfolded over the next couple of years, uh, I guess, made him uh, very, I don't know, salty is the word, but he, he felt sort of betrayed, I guess, through that whole process. And uh, mm. he is a very stubborn man. And, you know, I have those qualities in me as well. Uh, but, uh, you know, as part of his stubbornness, uh, I guess we're not speaking. And so we're estranged at the moment. Uh, but it's interesting. I don't really feel... You know, I still carry with me, you know, our relationship, uh, the things we went through, and, uh, you know, he's still my father. And so I don't really see things through this lens of estrangement. Like, I'm, I'm mm. hopeful that we will rekindle at some point. Mm. Uh, it's a shame that I feel like certain life events are going to have to take place before that all happens. But, um, you know, it's just the reality of the situation. Yeah. So, wow. That probably means my no excuses mentality also. It's like, you know, it's not all perfect, but you got to keep going. And you can't, uh, you know, no lying to yourself, no, no, uh, no disillusionment, no, no self-imposed delusion. I I think my relationship with my dad actually makes me constantly rethink my own positions because when we delude ourselves, we, we only, we rob ourselves in the future. You know, he has, he robbed himself in the future. He robbed himself of his relationship with me, with his grandkid, uh, because he, you know, didn't have the foresight and, and hasn't been able to uh, get out from under his own delusion. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very yeah. conscious of that because I don't want to be costing myself any, anything more than I've already lost uh, by, by participating in this. So I do think that that is probably a, a big animating factor for me and why I'm, uh, you know, sort of a real talker and a real thinker on, on Twitter, for example, uh, that that's right. a big ingredient in that soup. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder like if you could put yourself in your dad's shoes and you don't have, you don't have to do this. You don't have to go there, but that's where my mind goes. I'm curious. Like it, what, what do you think he most would want to hear from you? Oh gosh. I don't know. I mean, I, I really don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know if he wants a Mia culpa. He's not going to get one, mm. but uh, I don't know. I, I don't, it doesn't seem like that would be the thing. I really don't know. It really is perplexing. Like uh, I think he's just stubborn. Yeah. I think he's just stubborn. He's decided that this is the way it is and he's not going to hear shit. And you know, I've reached out. I've tried. Yeah. I've seen my stepmom, his wife. I saw her last year, saw his mm. mom, my grandma last year. Mm. Uh, you know, it's not, not for a, uh, for lack of trying, I really don't know. Yeah. You know, I've tried to project I mean, some of the right actions. So he, you know, I, I feel like uh, actions speak louder than words. So kind of to show that, hey, I'm, I'm yeah. doing what I can here, but you know, that's not been enough. But I don't think in those terms, I'm not trying to please him. You know, when he's ready, he'll, he'll be ready, I assume. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Let, me, let me share from like a little bit about my relationship with my dad. Um, and no, it not, not, you know, come, trying to compare but but just i think i think i mean for men our relationship with, with our dads is pretty damn important right to to who we are um um for me it was like it was it was we all always had a difficult relationship never felt seen or loved by my dad and at some point um i i decided to cut off contact with him for 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 only six months and then i felt like i haven't had enough and like during that time he really wanted he was like hurting from it he was in pain over it and he really wanted to reconnect and and so we did but then it wasn't until some two and a half years ago i was with um someone a mentor of mine and he was like um he he had me go through this exercise to see like how my dad was emotionally wounded and realizing that that was the exact same the way that I was emotionally wounded, right? right. Just like right. check off the list, right? Every single thing. And then he was like, what? Like he made me call up my dad in that moment. And just, he was like, just lie to him. That was the instruction. Just lie to him and tell him what he most wants to hear. And so I called him up and I said, dad, I just want you to know that you're the best father I could have ever wished for and at first he was like well like i don't that's very nice of you but i don't believe a word you're saying and like are you in therapy <laughs> and, you and I was kind of, what's, what's that 
Are you in the twelve step program? <laughs> right, exactly, right. And so I was, uh, I was prepared for that. So I was like, no, no, here's why. And then I gave him reasons. I gave him reasons. And but the incredible thing that happened that I had not predicted, but it was just, was that the moment that that when I first said it, it felt like a lie. And the moment that I'd said it and he had received it, it didn't feel like a lie anymore. Oh wow! Right. It felt, it felt like the truth. And since then, like it just hasn't, we've just, you know, there hasn't been that resistance. There hasn't been that, that disconnect. Um, so that was, yeah. Okay. So powerful for me. That is interesting. I've heard similar stories, uh, before, you know, you speak it and, and you make it real, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, that is very interesting. That's definitely a new angle. I, I certainly wouldn't, uh, intuitively come up with that because I don't like to project any falsehoods at all. Right. <laughs> I like to be as authentic as possible all the time. Right. Yeah, but, uh, that is that is definitely some food for thought right there. Yeah, I mean it's kind of like if, like if your if your girlfriend or your wife is asking you like, "Will you love me forever?" and then you go like, "Well, I can't technically know that, right?" <laughs> In that moment, that's probably not the answer she's looking for, right? Yep. <laughs> she, <laughs> she can have to deal with the true answer for me. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Uh, this is so interesting. I'm so glad that that um, I got to connect with you. Um, I just where where do you want to direct people? Um, well, I mean, I make software that uh, you know website template software. So if you want to run a fast website that's easy to manage, you can go to my business website. It's diythemes.com. Uh, I sell a product called Focus, which is. My 100% of my focus right now. So uh, if you're interested in a fast website, it's easy to manage. Uh, beautiful type typography, works on every device, no hassles for you. That's the thing to get. But, um, you know, really what I'm doing with websites, again, I'm still still out in front of the curves, you know, and the, and the market hasn't really caught up to uh, the way, the many, many, many ways that I'm trying to simplify this whole picture for people. Uh, you know, tech stuff, websites, et cetera, it's all so damn complicated. It looks so innocuous. It looks so cheap and easy. It looks like it's just a freaking webpage. What's the big deal? And the reality is there's 80 billion ways these things can go wrong. And there's very, very few tenets, principles of true success, things that actually matter. And it, it comes down to very simple stuff. You know, lessons you learn from Twitter, Cons you know, be concise, brevity, have punchy copy, get right to the point, make it easy for people to read, to consume, uh, to serve visitors, which is actually the goal of any website. Uh, the, you know, what really happens is, is it becomes a self-aggrandizing thing where you want to satisfy your ego with your own website. You know, your, your website, you build your website to serve you. And the irony is your website actually has to exist to serve customers or an audience. And there's a big disconnect there. People just do not get that. And right. people, the market hasn't even caught up to that basic reality of the situation yet. But that's where I'm operating. And uh, those are the efficiencies that I'm, I'm bringing to bear. You know, the basic stuff, beautiful typography, easy to read, load super fast on your device because you're reading the shit in line at Chipotle. You know, you're not on a super fast connection at the house. You're not on a big screen. Right. Uh, all these things, the, the way everything is done, it's like it's exactly turned upside down. And we just need to turn the damn thing over you know, get our bearings and then, you know, proceed accordingly. And yeah. uh, so that's how I do software. There's, there's issues beyond that as far as like software development and principles like that. I'm working on a, a new project that I've really just gotten into recently to try and, uh, you know, add, you know, bring some efficiencies to bear there. All of software is a huge damn mess. You can't even imagine the stuff that, that kids are out there learning right now in college, the first two introductory courses for computer science, the principles that those kids are out there learning are not applied almost anywhere in software. The basic fundamental mechanisms of computer science are not applied to software that we know and use, no matter what it is. Salesforce, these big softwares, things, these things we think about as being so big and grand and worth all this money, you know, even those, those are even worse. So the way software is built is just shit. I'm sort of on a campaign to, to sort of try and fix some of this stuff, you know, when I, when I see big problems, I feel like it's sort of my responsibility to help tackle them because quite frankly, few people have this perspective and can, can do this. So when you see that, it's like, what do you do? Do you sit by and, eh, it's too much work. It's not, there's nothing really in it for me financially. Like, what do I do? Do you do that and do you just accept that or do you solve the problem? 
I can't let stuff go. I have to solve problems. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's fascinating too, because like software, it feels like software is getting worse and worse. And at the same time, more and more pervasive, right? <laughs> like yep. software is everywhere and it's terrible. And software is eating the world is the quote. And uh, right. it's, it's the truth. And the thing is the growth of modern software is growth on top of stuff that's already wrong. So it's inefficiencies being layered on top of other inefficiencies, which is a great metaphor for government. Uh, but that's the state of software, the absolute state of software. And, and the costs of refactoring, much like the cost of moving factories back from China, those are refactoring costs. Those costs are too high. We have not had that sweet meteor of death external pressure moment. Uh, but you know, these days of reckoning are coming. Yeah. I'm going to look like a, a prophet someday, but this stuff is so obvious and basic, you know, it's not really. Right. I also don't think, I don't think it's an accident that like you and I are both, uh, are both like software engineers, right? They, that, that gives you a certain outlook on things. Like it's just, you know, the code runs or it doesn't, it's faster. It's, it's not right. It's, it, it, you know, there's not a lot of opinions to be uh, thrown about on this thing. It's like, well, we could test it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Can see, is this actually object oriented code? No. Okay. Probably could be better. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, man. That's so, so, so fascinating. Do you have a, a final thought that you want to leave people with? I mean, not really. I'd say, uh, say just, just check out my Twitter account and see <laughs> all the different things I talk about. I'll get you thinking one way or another. And that's really what I want people to do is to, right. to how to think. And that's sort of you know, my next initiative is literally teaching people how to think, how to think for themselves, right. of course. Uh, but, there are ways to think that are productive and constructive and there are ways to think that are corrosive and mm -hmm. the ways of thinking that are corrosive seem to be winning. And unless you are vigilant, you will fall into these little traps that society mm -hmm. is setting. So yeah. I teach people to be vigilant thinkers. Uh, that's what I'm doing with my Twitter account, sort of a, a low key long-term initiative, but uh, you know, just, just see what the conversation is. Follow my stuff, see what it is. Nice. I like that. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. I like, I want to be part of that teaching people how to think. It's coming. It's yeah. coming. All right. Keep me posted. Man. All right. Thanks again. Um, it's a wrap. Um, who, who else should I be talking to? I mean, I think Jack's story is super interesting because he got canceled. Yeah. He was a, yeah. a big wig in the, the DC public school system, which is almost entirely black. And so he spent years helping yeah. black kids basically. And he still got canceled. He called a racist. <laughs> so his story is one of uh, great clarity. You know what mm -hmm. he sees, he sees very clearly mm -hmm. and it's super uh, poignant because like I said, he was deeply embedded in the racial stuff, mm -hmm. uh, which is so hot right now. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so his story and also his uh, sort of new digital entrepreneurship angle. So he's, he's mm -hmm. really on the pulse. So he'd be, he'd nice. be a, a fun interview for sure. Um, nice. You know, it, people like him, people like me, I think we are interesting right now because we're not mm -hmm. doing this basic stuff like, you know, location independent coaching and jet setting the world. Like that's it's so boring and played out. Like I just I any of those signals I just find so lame now. And like marketer types, mm -hmm. like get, step aside. You guys are not mm -hmm. interesting anymore. You've had nothing interesting to say for years. You're all about the bottom line and, and you know, just getting more sales, which is sort of a cannibalistic, uh, non-empathetic sort of activity to me. It's just not interesting. That's been the digital conversation for years. I see it moving into more, uh, more substantive directions. Mm -hmm. And uh, those are the conversations that I think need to be had and need to be uh, broadcast more uh, widely and amplified. And I think it's happening. Nice. It's not something, nice. you know, it's an organic sort of decentralized thing, but it is happening. We're talking right here. I think this is part of that. Uh, you know, Jack yeah. stuff blowing up right now, I think is part of that, but uh, we are moving be, into more interesting territory for sure. Yeah. Would you be comfortable making an introduction to Jack? Sure. Absolutely. Love it. Thank you. He's really trying to get on Fox that. News right now. So, you know, All he right. might, uh, you yeah. know, just, just, just preparing you there. He might have bigger fish to fry. Uh, oh, for sure. But, what, is, uh, what is he doing I to try to get on Fox? Be a very, very good conversation. Yeah. For, All right. I appreciate that. Um, thank you. Yeah. What is he doing to get, try to get on Fox? Maybe I can help out. Uh, well, he has had a bunch of posts that were, uh, you know, viral posts for quarantine, like he's lifting, like lifting weights at the bar out in his front yard. And he's had this Karen neighbor call the cops on him like four times or something. Right, right, right. So yeah, that I mean, was the I've been that him they on wanted Twitter. to get on Hannity, but, uh, so let me, so let me like, 
if you connect, um, I'll connect him with my friend Chris, who does media and PR and is, has good connections over uh, on Fox, and maybe he can help uh, broker there. Nice. Um, happy to do that. What What do you need help with right now? What do I need help with? Mm -hmm. uh, probably just attention and all you know, qualified uh, qualified customers. It was so easy. It was so easy ten years ago. I mean, I was selling. An average, exactly 10 years ago this month, I was selling an average of, of like $5,200 worth of software a day, <laughs> which that's huge. It's absolutely huge. That's printing money for a little software shop. And uh, then it was much easier because people were making decisions about their first website. So there wasn't existing technical debt. There was no, nothing to compare to. It was like, just use this. So it's a very simple transaction, that whole thing. But uh, I need, I need eyeballs who are ready and sort of understand this new landscape and understand, okay, I need to take this restrained view of what I need to do. I need to operate in a, you know, between the guardrails, so to speak, because that's what's going to be easy for me and actually viable and something I can maintain over time. So I, I, you know, I really need those qualified type of leads and to hit those types of people, which, uh, you know, Twitter's kind of a crappy platform for doing that. Advertising kind of works for that, but you know, I'm trying to build a extremely conscious business. And what I mean by that, like I want really good leads. I want leads who understand exactly what the mission is. Um, mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't wanna just make sales. I need to make sales to people who fully understand what they are doing. And that is, that is proven to be, without, without doing obvious things that I could do to capture their attention up front, because it actually mm -hmm. sets up the relationship in a way that is counterproductive in the long run. Mm -hmm. will cannibalize my business and will put me in places uh, and ways I need to operate that I don't like and therefore I will lose interest. So, I mean, this is a real tightrope thing for me to, to be building this thing in the way that I want to build it. I've already done the build it and make sure you get as many eyeballs as possible. That led me to some places I didn't like. So now I'm trying to build it and say, These, this is what I will tolerate and mm -hmm. I need audience who are aligned with this and that's all I will accept. Um, that obviously cuts off the amount of money you can make, but at the what same are you doing time, to, what are you doing to attract that audience? Uh, you know, I've got a multi multi pronged approach. Some of it's through Twitter. A lot of it's through email copy, things like that. The copy on my website, I make all these videos. I do all this in-depth stuff. I'm trying to teach people very specific things. Mm -hmm. uh, and so all of my sticky content, kind of has these recurring themes. So I know that if any of these ideas stuck with you, you're at least sort of like your eyes are sort of turned in the direction I want them to be turned and you will at least be able to see some of the things I've set out before you. And uh, so it's really, a, it's a, a big coordinated effort. It feels like, it feels like it's a very precise, large, kind of hard to do thing to, to really get this, this great alignment and achieve congruency across all facets, facets of the business. That is, is a hard, harder thing to do than just to build a business and pay for ads and get eyeballs. Right. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a, Are you, what's the next thing in that process that you, where you stuck with it or what, where do you need help? Well, I mean, I guess I'm not totally sure. Uh, you know, I think, I think I've got a lot of people who could promote me effectively mm -hmm. and I, I, do, I could op reopen my affiliate program, for example, and that would incentivize others to uh, mm -hmm. send me more traffic that I could then attempt to qualify. There's some pros and cons with that, which I don't want to go into now, but uh, I've got some videos on this topic as well. But, uh, you know, I, I guess the answer is I don't really even know how I want to build my business. I just know right. what I want and that is extreme <laughs> alignment. Yeah. So what? Some something that I'm doing now is I'm I'm focusing very hard on building my personal brand. Right. I built a software company, but I haven't. And I, you know, from that, kind of build a little bit of a, a personal brand. But now I'm actually like really investing in it. So I built my own. Uh, I hired someone that used to work on Team Gary for Gary Vaynerchuk, yeah. um, and like a handful of people around me. And now I was like building out Team Calvin to right. to really invest in building personal brand. One of the things we did, we did an exercise on Monday, um, defining the character diamond for, for Calvin, the personal brand, which was super helpful for me. 
So getting some clarity around, yeah, I'm going to piss some people off and people are going to be offended, but this is my role and this is what I'm committed to. Um, happy to share that with you. If that can be of inspiration. Um, but I think, was that? I said, yeah, probably so. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, happy to, to, to talk all this through with you and, 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 uh, and support you in any way. I think, I think for you, like what, like your, your thinking across the spectrum is pretty consistent, right? Like the, it's like, think for yourself, like, don't be stupid. It's like when it comes to websites yeah, or when it comes to politics. Thinker, at least I think I am. Yeah. So I think there's a lot to be, to be said for, for um, going the personal brand route. I mean, really, really thinking of that as your, right. as that's your main thing, that's your main focus. And then people are going to buy the product off of that. That's sort of, I guess the, um, de facto route I've taken by, by mm -hmm. increasing my video presence, trying to get my affect mm -hmm. out there. So people like get a sense of what this is. Um, mm -hmm. That's why I spend a lot of time on Twitter. Although I think Twitter is a shitty place to do all this stuff. What, yeah. Once you tip huge, then it's valuable. But it's like, mm -hmm. it is not, like if you're a Mike Cernovich, for example, he could go shill something tomorrow and he'll sell a ton of, ton of stuff, get mm -hmm. a ton of attention. Uh, he can move, move a lot of ground with his mm -hmm. account. But until you're pretty damn big, mm -hmm. 50,000 followers at least, really more mm -hmm. like 300,000, you can't move a lot. And like in a place like, living in a place like New York, for example, you would need 300,000 followers to be able to monetize your Twitter account enough to actually just be able yeah. to live there sustainably and not even like super comfortably. You're not talking rich. We're just talking about making it. You'd be rich right. if you moved to South Dakota tomorrow, but mm -hmm. you're in fucking South Dakota. So, you know what I mean? Yeah. Just, 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 you know, making it work through, through Twitter being your only channel or, you know, building up YouTube, all this stuff is very, you know, there's a tipping point with your audience. that's pretty damn big. It is a high bar. Yeah. to uh, really yeah. be able to monetize that stuff. I've, I you know, have held on to my personal brand forever, and I think it's a big part of what I do, but uh, it is a challenge to, to project yourself so that people know who you are. It's harder than it seems. It seems like, oh, just do yeah. videos, it's so easy. It's like, eh, it's a lot yeah. more complicated than that. Yeah. All right, let me, let me um, share that with you um, later. Um, cool. I got to run because I got a meeting with my team, Calvin, coming up in just a few minutes. So, nice. How are on the team? Uh, we are four right now. We're adding um, two, three people this week. Um, are you floating all that personally, paying for all that personally, or are you doing it through uh, the software business? Yeah, the software company, yeah. So it yeah. all ties together. Yeah, yeah. And I'm what launching – What like, software do you sell? It's called Simplero. So um, for basically like an all-in-one platform for, for online courses is what it was designed for. Memberships, is it, is information marketing. Do you install on a web server or is it centralized? No, SaaS hosted, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's kind of like if you put Infusionsoft and Kajabi together. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like just to give you a, a, an idea. Um, so yeah. And um and I'm actually doing, I'm doing three new businesses and a project. I, Notable Nation is my sort of my long-term strategic uh, political project, which is about maturing the American public <laughs> so that once we're more mature, we can actually solve some problems. Right, right now we're just right. kids and we are not solving anything. No, um, you're right. I mean, yeah, politically the, the argument is like a four-year-old to four-year-old sort of argument. Exactly, Absolutely. totally, exactly, yeah. And then, yeah, a workout and a supplement business. And there's like a specific reason. There's a story behind that too. That's um, cool. And uh, a coaching business. Yeah, a lot That's of plays right now. Place. So, <laughs> yeah. So my, my calendar is more scheduled than it used to be, but we'll, it'll, quick, it'll all be good. Question. So your audience for your, your Sinclair platform, mm -hmm. who are they? Where are they? How do you, how do you reach them? Advertising right. on Facebook and Instagram? Well, like, what are you doing? Um, we've started, we've started advertising. So for many years, so I, I got into, you know, information marketing online courses back in 2008 and then quickly realized that these were all assholes. They're all douchebags, just like looking to peddle shit and not caring about service or product or customers or anything like that. And so I kind of quit that industry and just focused on building the best product that I knew how to build and giving, offering the best customer service I knew how to do. And so basically didn't do anything other than that for almost a decade. And then Last year, decided to get back in the game and actually do marketing, but not be a douche, right? And so, 
this year, what we found success with is a challenge. So we're doing a, a course launch challenge and we're actually now splitting it up into two. So we're doing a, like a five day super cheap mindset challenge. Um, so like business success on my mindset, I throw in a lot of my, my thinking, you know, my, my irreverent thinking in there. And then that leads into the course launch challenge. And so that's our thing right now. And like Facebook ads is the primary way that we're doing it. And then monetizing, you know, basically paying for the ad spend through the, the, in, on the front end and then um, driving adoption of, of the product through the challenge. And then, you know, what we sell at the of Simplero is, is kind of, is that's the profit, right? That's the gradient. Right. So, right. Interesting. Yeah. Yep. It's yep. Working pretty well. together, those types of aspects of the business are what I have not done well. The mm -hmm. primary reason is because I do everything. And right. so it, uh, yeah. it's a, you know, yeah. it's a challenge. So I've, I'm at a point where now 33, four people or something. Um, I know. And the most, like, I think at the start of the year, we were maybe 15, 20, but we've just added a ton of people. Part of it is, is, you know, COVID part of it is that we started this challenge that is really working. And part of it is just like opportunistic. There's a lot of quality of good talent out there right now that is willing to work for cheap. And so we're like, if I can hire a marketer for 40 grand a year, and that guy makes me a lot of money, I think that's a pretty good investment. That right? is a good so, deal. There's no doubt about it. No yeah. doubt that's cool. Yeah. Uh, how, how, uh, just real quick, how, how big did the business have to get before you could start hiring in? Um, or did you have, you know, enough to, to think was, it like that? I think it was, um, well, I struggled a lot with hiring, but I think it was like well over a million, um, before, um, before I started. Wow. Cool. Um, that makes sense. Really? That yeah. makes it way more palatable. It's so tough yeah. when you're ramping up if you're bootstrapped to like, when do you take on yeah. that first piece? Because it can be so, such a strain until right. you kind of get out from your own shadow and then it's fine. Like once it's rolling, it's right. rolling. Well, I will say if I, if I had to do it over, I would have invested in hiring earlier and especially like the process of learning how to hire well, find the right people, you know, vet them, get them into the organization well. Like we've invested a ton in that this year. Like we've gotten really good at it. Yeah. And that is something that's, that's really worth it. Um, that's what I so, hear from a lot of entrepreneurs, like that right there. Hiring yeah. ends up becoming the absolute number one mechanism for this C-level team, essentially. Absolutely, yeah. For, for growth. Yeah. And I found a really, really good COO um, that he started in January. Super, just super lucky to find that guy. Without him, I wouldn't be able to do that. But he's just really good at taking care of the management piece, which I hate uh, and I'm right. terrible at. So, right. uh, that's yeah. Cool. That yeah. is very all right, man. All right. All right. Off. Thanks for man. having me. Uh, I'll see you on Twitter. All right. I'll, and I'll all try right. and throw Jack. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Thank you. Appreciate all right. it. Man. See you, dude. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you for listening to the podcast episode. After 20 years as a serial entrepreneur, it's my passion to bring you ideas and insights from some of the best entrepreneurs, leaders, and thinkers in the world straight to your phone. We're going to be launching many, many more podcast episodes in the future. So please subscribe and leave a five-star review if you found any value at all from today's conversation. Your reviews and feedback mean the world to me.